Good morning, church. It's great to be with you. My name is Dave, and I'm one of the pastors of Cedar Mill Bible Church, and I want to welcome you to our third online gathering. You know, quite often in the morning, before all of us were quarantined to our homes, a group of our young staff members would gather together in the gym here at church and work out with our Spanish-speaking pastor, Ruben Castro. And if you know Ruben, you know that he's a guy who's in really good shape. And so this gathering has been affectionately named Getting Ripped with Ruben. And even though I've never personally participated in Ripped with Ruben, no comments, please, I would sometimes come into the office, get my cup of coffee, and then stand in the window looking down into the gym as all the younger staff members would be running and lunging and crushing out some push-ups and doing all the stuff that Reuben would have them doing. And one thing I'd notice is that quite often, Pastor Luke Emery, our middle school pastor, would be being significantly outworked by his wife, Danica. But that's another sermon. Any rate, the point is this. These folks... We're committed to working out because if you want to get in shape, it takes a lot of effort. It takes discipline, it takes determination, and it takes commitment. And this morning, I want to talk with you about getting in shape spiritually. And I want to do it by looking at the story of a guy who did some pretty intense training of his own. His name is Elijah. He's a prophet in the Old Testament, and he was given a pretty tough assignment by the Lord. If you open your Bibles this morning to 1 Kings chapter 17, that's where we're going to be. 1 Kings 17. If you're using a pew Bible this morning, you can go ahead and turn. Well, 1 Kings is at the beginning of the Bible. It's towards the beginning. It comes right after 1 and 2 Samuel, and it precedes, that's right, 2 Kings. Good job. All right, as you turn there, let me catch you up on what's happening in the biblical narrative. After the Israelites, God's people, the descendants of Abraham, are delivered from slavery in Egypt, Moses leads them across the Red Sea, they wander around in the wilderness for 40 years, and then finally they move into the promised land, the land that God has provided for them to live in. And then eventually they get a king. And their very first king is a guy named Saul. And Saul starts off pretty strong, but in the end, he's a bit of a disappointment. But then comes king number two. And king number two is a guy by the name of David. And David is called a man after God's own heart. And even though David is, is far from perfect, he leads the nation of Israel into a time of prosperity. It's called the Golden Age of Israel. And it was a time when people were flourishing and thriving and prospering. But... Towards the end of David's reign, he has some moral failures, and then when he dies, his son Solomon takes over, and things start to go downhill. Eventually, the nation splits in two, and it's a period known as the Divided Kingdom. The southern two tribes of Israel join together, and they're called Judah, and then the northern ten tribes come together, and they are called Israel. And Israel, these northern ten tribes, are ruled by a series of kings who are each more wicked than the one before until finally they end up with the most godless, evil king in all of Israel's history. He's a guy by the name of Ahab. 
This is 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 30 and 31. It tells us about Ahab. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. So if Ahab's not bad enough already, he marries this this godless woman named Jezebel. And I'll just pause right here and say, kids, be careful who you marry. It's a big decision. It's a really important thing. It's another message, but it does really matter. Anyway, Jezebel worships the pagan god Baal, and Ahab puts her in charge of religion for the entire country, and Jezebel makes it her priority to kill every single prophet of the Lord who's living. This, by the way, was sort of unprecedented behavior. Prophets in Israel had always been given this sort of diplomatic immunity. And if you read the scriptures, what you'll find is that kings and prophets often butted heads. They, they often did not get along, but a king would never harm a prophet. But not now, not Jezebel. She's out to have them all murdered in cold blood. So it's a pretty risky time to be a prophet. And yet, right now in Israel, we're going to meet one. His name is the prophet Elijah. 1 Kings chapter 17, this is the first moment we meet Elijah in the, in the scriptures. Now Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, except at my word. So the story of Elijah begins with him declaring that he's a prophet in Israel and confronting one of the most evil and powerful men around. And he is not bringing good news. Have you ever had to confront someone who's in a position of power? Have you ever had to challenge them or point out a mistake or tell them something they don't like? Did that person ever have the capacity to kill you? Because that's how Elijah starts off. He's right up in Ahab's face, and he's not backing down. And from the very beginning, Elijah is learning about what it means to trust God, to trust God even when times are tough. You see, Elijah is now in the trusting God training program. Because most of us know Elijah. We know his story. We know about the big moment on Mount Carmel when he takes on the prophets of Baal and wins a great victory for God. But Today, we're going to learn about how Elijah gets ready for that big moment and how God puts him into training. Today, we're going to discover about how Elijah learns to trust God, not on the mountaintop, but in the valley. And right out of the chute, Elijah is learning this. Trusting God often leads to challenge and confrontation in your life. Trusting God often leads to challenge and confrontation in your life. You see, sometimes we get this Sunday school flannel graph idea that to follow Jesus and to live by the motto of what would Jesus do 
it is a way of always finding peace and harmony and comfort in our lives. But it's not. Because if you look at Jesus, what you'll discover is this. He is confrontational. He speaks truth. He's always moving towards, not away from towards, hurt and pain and struggle. In fact, Jesus was such a controversial figure that they hung him on a cross and executed him. You know, I was reading this week about how time and time and time again, the followers of Jesus throughout history have risked their lives in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of struggle, to do what's right and to put others before themselves. In fact, if you go all the way back to the scriptures in the book of Acts chapter 4, the lives of the very first Jesus followers are being threatened by some very evil and powerful men. The same men, in fact, who hung Jesus on the cross. And in the face of, of these threats, these followers of Jesus gathered to pray. And listen to their prayer. Listen to these words. This is Acts chapter 4, verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. You see, what they're saying is this. They're saying, God, give us the same boldness we saw in Elijah. And maybe you're saying, well, that's great, Pastor Dave, but I'm not really sure how to be bold. I mean, what does it look like to be bold in my life right now? I'm confined to my house for crying out loud. Well, maybe this is a great opportunity to grow in your boldness. Maybe you need to get bold about using this time to foster a deeper relationship with God. Maybe you need to get bold about reaching out to a neighbor or a friend or a coworker, someone who might be hurting or someone who's even just lonely. Maybe you need to get bold by being radically generous, even in the face of financial and economic uncertainty. Maybe you need to get bold these days in serving your spouse during this time when you're stuck together in the house. Maybe you need to use this time to work on your marriage. Maybe there's a relationship that needs to be reconciled and you could use this time to pick up the phone and have a conversation that you've been putting off. Maybe you need to get bold simply about training your mind to dwell on noble, right, pure, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy things. That's Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. But I guess the question is this. Where is God asking you to step into something hard and be bold? Where is he asking you to step into something messy, something challenging or maybe even confrontational in your world these days? Where is he asking you to trust him to do that? Verse 2. Then, remember, Elijah has confronted Ahab. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Does this seem weird to you? Because wouldn't we expect this statement to be at the beginning of the story? I would. I mean, wouldn't we expect this story to say, the word of the Lord came to Elijah and told him to go and confront the most powerful man and evil man in the entire nation. But that's not how it goes. Notice here that Elijah goes to Ahab, confronts him, does this really hard thing, and then the word of the Lord comes to Elijah. And friends, I think there is a valuable lesson for us here. 
Trusting God leads to God's presence with us. Trusting God leads to God's presence with us. You see, most of the time, we want that to be reversed, don't we? We want God to show up. We want him to tell us clearly what to do. We want him to clear a path for us. We want him to remove all the risks. We want him to give us assurance and certainty about the future and how things will turn out. And then, and then we will trust him once he's done those things, once he's reassured us. You know, there's a great scene in one of the Indiana Jones movies where Harrison Ford stands on the edge of this cavern and he needs to get to the other side. And he stands there trying to figure out how he's going to cross when all of a sudden, as he looks around, he begins to mutter these words and he says, it's a leap of faith. He realizes it's a leap of faith. And so he closes his eyes and he puts his foot out and he takes this really deep breath and then he steps forward into the abyss. And just as he does, just as he takes that step of faith, The pathway appears beneath his feet, bridging the gap from one side to the other. And the great lesson of this moment is the same lesson we learn here from Elijah. Sometimes we have to act first. Sometimes we have to step out. Sometimes we have to do what we know God is calling us to do, and that is when God will meet us. I think of the Israelites looking to cross the Jordan River into the promised land and they want to cross, but they're, they're looking for God to do a miracle. They're looking for him to sort of to pile up the water in the same way he did at the Red Sea. And God says, you step into the water first and then I'll show up. You act in faith first and then my presence will be with you. You know, I love the story of Mother Teresa when she was asked by John Kavanaugh to pray for him about how he was going to spend the rest of his life. He was kind of at a fork in the road in his life and he was looking to make a change. He goes to Mother Teresa and he says, pray for me. She says, what do you want me to pray for? And he said, pray that God will give me clarity. And Mother Teresa responds, I won't pray for clarity, but I will pray for you to have faith. You see, Often what we want from God is clarity so that we can act. But what God wants from us is that we would trust him, that we would exercise faith in him and act. And as we act, that's when God will show up. That's when he'll give us clarity. But often it's faith, it's trust first. So Elijah acts. He confronts Ahab. He takes a step and then the word of the Lord comes to him. Verse 3, leave here, this is what God says to him, leave here, turn eastward and hide into Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, I have direct, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. First of all, where is the Kareth Ravine? Well, it tells us in the story twice that it's east of the Jordan. And in the Old Testament, friends, that's code for no man's land. This is the middle of the desert. He is off the grid. He is off the map. There are no bars on his cell phone. 
And perhaps most importantly, moving east in the Bible is symbolic of moving away from God. Furthermore, we're told that God is going to send and that he does send ravens to bring Elijah food. And that's a real interesting choice because ravens were considered by the Jewish people to be unclean animals. They were scavengers of sort. They would, you know, feast on like previously dead things. And so Elijah would have been taught from the time he was a very small boy to go nowhere near a raven. And yet, in this moment, God says, go east and you'll get your food from ravens. Well, here's the point. I believe Elijah is learning in this moment that trusting God will take you out of your comfort zone. Trusting God will take you out of your comfort zone. Trusting God will take you beyond what you think is normal. It will challenge you to do things that you never thought you would have to do. And that's what Elijah experiences here. And friends, this is a big lesson for him. Because at the end of this story, or at least in the middle somewhere, he's going to end up in a duel for his life with 450 pagan prophets. And so God knows this. God knows that he's going to need to to learn some things about getting out of and away from what he's used to and what's comfortable. And friends, let me ask us, are we willing to do the same? Are you willing to follow God into the uncomfortable? when he takes you into the wilderness, when he leads you into the desert, when he calls you to do things that you never imagined that he would ask you to do, will you trust him even then? I have to say, friends, I I believe these days that we're in are a wonderful opportunity for us to learn to trust God in this way, outside of where we're comfortable. Finally, verse 7. Sometime later... The brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. I want to spend our closing time together on this one verse because I think this verse is extremely significant. God comes to Elijah and he says to him, you know, trust me, go out into the middle of nowhere, camp out in this ravine, drink from this little stream. I will take care of you. And so Elijah goes. He puts his life on the line. He steps out of his comfort zone. He trusts the Lord. And then, and then, the stream dries up. Friends, I believe this is a tremendously revealing statement about how trusting God often works. Verse 7, sometime later, the brook dried up. Let me ask you this. Has your brook ever dried up? Have you ever had something or experienced something or trusted something that you were sure was from the Lord and then one day it started going away, it started disappearing, it started drying up? Maybe it was a job or a relationship, a marriage, a child, a friend. Maybe it was finances Maybe it was a place that you thought you'd live forever. Maybe it was even your health. Whatever it was, it was a gift from God, and now it's disappearing. Maybe now it's even gone, dried up, taken away. And the question is, 
Why would God do this? Why would God do this to Elijah? Why would he not just let this little stream flow forever? Well, here's what I believe. I believe God dries this stream up because it's our tendency, my tendency and yours, to shift our trust from God to the stream. To begin to put our faith and find our security in the blessing instead of the blessing provider. And what God wants for Elijah here and what he wants for you and for me is for us to learn to constantly put our full faith and constantly put our full trust in him. And in this moment, Elijah learns this. Trusting God must be a repeated exercise throughout your life. You see, Trust is just like your muscles. If you don't use them, they will get flabby. And I can speak from personal recent experience because I was shocked at how quickly after having, having hip surgery, my leg muscles started to deteriorate. If you do not lose them, they will go. And here's the truth, friends. We can get out of shape spiritually so quickly as well. Our faith, our trust can easily begin to shift to things in this world instead of being focused on the Lord. And God does not want this to happen to Elijah. He doesn't want this for Elijah because he knows what Elijah is going to face. And he knows that Elijah is going to need to be in the best spiritual shape of his life to face what's coming. And friends, let me just say this to you and me as we close. No one knows what lies ahead for us, but I'll tell you this. God wants you to be in great spiritual shape for whatever it is. So if you're looking at your life right now, and it seems like there's a brook that's drying up, that was once flowing, that was once a gift, that was once a blessing, and now it's drying up, let me encourage you to see that as an opportunity, an opportunity to shift your security, to Focus your faith and to reestablish your trust again in the one who will never, ever, ever dry up in your life. My college basketball coach used to make us run these things called 10 and 60s. And what they were were simply 10 lengths of the basketball floor in 60 seconds. And every now and then, at the end of practice, he would put 20 minutes up on the clock and we would have to run 20 10 and 60s back to back. And let me tell you, it was exhausting. You had to fight with everything in you to make it, especially during, during those, those final minutes. And as we would run, exhausted, worn out, tired beyond belief, our coach would stand on the sidelines and, and he would yell this phrase at us. He would just call out this phrase and I can still hear him saying it in his deep, raspy voice. He would say, fatigue will make a coward out of any man. Fatigue will make a coward out of any man. You see, our coach understood the power of having a team that was in great physical condition. And friends, I believe God is calling us, his church, to be in great spiritual condition. So take a cue from Elijah these days. 
Use this time to enter yourself into the Trusting God training program. Build your spiritual muscles, church, for whatever it is we'll face in the future. God bless you. Thanks for being here. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we give you praise and thanks. In all circumstances, you are good, you are sovereign, you are great, and you are with us. Lord, help us right now by the power of your spirit to use this time to learn to trust you more. Give us insight, give us wisdom, give us perseverance. Give us tenacity, Lord, as we seek your face and as we follow your word and as we look at the world, help us to identify opportunities to let your light shine. But mostly, Lord, we ask that you would build your character, your very son's character into our hearts and lives, that we would be more like you and that we would represent you well in this world as your bride. That's our prayer. And we pray it together in Jesus' name. Amen.